Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back, mummers. Today's interview is with a woman who's already been on this podcast, Amy Malloy. I interviewed mama, author and journalist Amy back in episode number 49 after her book, The World is a Nice Place, was released. At that time, she was very, very fresh into the days of second-time motherhood, was still very focused on putting a book out into the world and balancing her ambition with motherhood. Fast forward just over 12 months and life is very different. The realities of trying to be a whole and happy mother to two young children while balancing her ambition has proven to be, as it often is, much more difficult than she realised. And it was really important to me to bring her back onto this podcast and talk about that. Reflect on the changing nature of our ambition and ourselves, on the importance of continually redefining who we are. And as she so beautifully puts it in this episode, if that's not who I am, then who am I? In this episode, we also talk about her new project, a book that I believe all of us need. It's a children's book that you will be able to read to your child at the end of the day that will actually secretly and thankfully help you. Enjoy this beautiful insight from Amy. As you'll hear, there is a moment in this episode that even I had this big aha moment. I hope you do too. This is the Happy Mama Movement, a weekly podcast dedicated to changing the conversation about what it means to be a mother and a woman in this day and age. I'm Amy Taylor-Cabaz, author, mama and former journalist. After spending 15 years chasing news and burning myself out trying to be superwoman, I realized that I was chasing a dream that no longer served me and since then have dedicated myself to understanding the transition that we go through as women when our whole identity shifts with motherhood. Every week I will bring you the very best insights and inspiration I can find to help us all change the way we feel about this time in our lives and create a movement that allows us to honour motherhood differently. Amy, welcome back to the podcast. 
Thank you for having me back on. Oh, it's such a joy. I know how much my mum has loved our first conversation with your beautiful book with Hay House. And so I know that a lot has unfolded since then and Mm. really wanted to not only talk to you about uh, ambition and motherhood and really being okay with where we're at right now, but also about a phenomenal new project you have got coming out and how important this could be for mamas. But let's start first with that beautiful word, ambition. (laughs) (laughs) And it so resonates with me because you and I have such a similar background, both in the media as journalists, both had these big goals, and also both such deep desires to be a storyteller and to change conversations around the world. And then motherhood arrives. Since uh, your second baby has been here, how how have you found this juggle? Oh, it's been a constant journey for want want of a better word. I actually had to look back and do the maths on when we last spoke um, because it felt like it was about three years ago and actually it was only, I think, around April 2018 because my little boy, my second child, is only one and a half but it just feels like so much has happened in that time, um, especially when it comes to my career and my identity as a writer and an editor and everything else um, and how I've kind of been redefining what success has to feel like when it's fitted in around now two children um, and my partner and the life that we want to have um and it shifted a lot (laughs) isn't it interesting that we really even with our second child we think we know what this is going to look and feel like and Mm. especially if you are that a-type personality that is very goal-driven as you and I both have been we we still have these goals and dreams and it's very very difficult to redefine that. Absolutely. And I think for me, having my first child was actually really easy when it came to that. So when Pasha was born, I had just signed a book deal for The World is a Nice Place. Um, I was in the process of, I just finished writing it when she was born. And so her newborn months were really just spent editing the book, knowing um, that, okay, in about six months time, I'm going to have this big glorious book launch And I just hung all of my identity in terms of my career on that. Now I'm a published author again. And um, so I'm okay. So Mm. my identity is very set. Um, When my son was born, the book had just come out. It really um, timed it. I didn't mean to time it that way, but literally um, the book launched on April the 3rd and he was born on April the 25th. (laughs) So... His early months, again, were spent in this big whirlwind of like promotion and TV and magazine interviews and events. And, um, you know, my ego was just at the top of its game. And then, as so happens when you publish a book, that just all began to um, die off a little bit. And I was left with a six-month-old and a two-year-old wondering what was going to happen next. Mm. what did that feel like um I did I'm end up being diagnosed with postnatal depression I am a little reluctant to 
call it that myself, as I'm still not entirely sure if that's something that I can entirely identify with as being my truth. Definitely, I've read the postnatal depletion cure, and that resonates a bit more with me. Um, my B12 levels were just had tanked. Um, my iron levels had tanked. I was just absolutely burnt out. And I was really just totally disconnected with Zephy, with my little boy. Um, I think I had focused so much on making sure that my book was a success and making sure that my career didn't suffer as a result of having two children so close together um, that I was just completely out of balance. And I ended up in a pretty dark place, which for someone who'd written a self-help book on overcoming adversity joyfully was mm -hmm. a really, really uncomfortable feeling for me because I was still doing speaking gigs. I was still talking about all of these tools that I had used to overcome being widowed and overcome anorexia and overcome my father being paralyzed. And yet um, they weren't really scratching the surface for me anymore. They weren't really keeping me buoyant. Um, and I really had to dig into an even deeper, more uncomfortable place to say, okay, why is my life not feeling um, smooth for me anymore? What do I need to look at and what do I need to change? And it really came down to how I was working and that ambition um, that wasn't fitting into our world anymore. Oh my gosh, I resonate with that so much. And I just want to, before I dive into it, just point out to any mamas that haven't listened to it yet, I have done a podcast with Dr. Oscar Serilak on postnatal depletion just two episodes ago than this one. So please jump on your podcast player and listen to episode number 110 with him. It's really, really important. Mm. I really resonate with this because... I got to this point last year myself, Amy, where on paper, everything looked like it was amazing. I had a business that was growing. I just got a two book deal with Hay House. I was, um, you know, launching programs that hundreds of mamas were signing up for. My family were all well. I really on the surface had nothing to complain about. In fact, most of my dreams were coming true. But within me, I was actually more flat, more, mm. more uninspired, more dark almost than I have really ever been. And I couldn't understand why. And really, it was the same realization you have had by the sound of things that it was because I was still identifying all of that stuff as being my happiness and of course, it wasn't making me happy because I was sick. I was burnt out again. I'd gone through that whole process again of being superwoman to get all of these things in place. And it left me on the couch watching Netflix thinking, <laughs> I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And I think for me, particularly because I've worked in media all my life, um, and the media landscape, as we all know, is, is changing dramatically. But also my priorities are changing. And I think I said to you um, when we met for coffee, I would listen to your podcast whenever I was on the treadmill. And every time you, um, you did your introduction, and I think you say, I'm um, former journalist. Mm. And every time I heard it, I just felt so envious of you. And I thought, I want to be a former journalist. I want to say former journalist. Because I was still trying to really just cling on to this identity that for 12 years, ever since I was, 
you know, a student, a journalism student, I thought that's what I wanted to be. And now, you know, at 35, as a mother of two, um, I really knew deep down that that's not the box that I really fit into anymore. And yet the question was, if not that, then who? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the, what really became uncomfortable to me, but was really important for me to begin to unpack because I knew if I didn't do that, I was never going to feel at peace with myself again. So when you find yourself in that place, how do you begin to redefine your identity? Do you know what? For a year, I just felt like I said no to so much. Um, And again, it was uncomfortable, but really necessary. And apologies to all the clients and all the editors and all um, the people that I've worked with who I turned jobs down with, who didn't understand why when they were offering me work, I was saying no. Um, Because I just began to get really clear on why was I saying yes to projects? Um, Did I really have the capacity to take this on? Was it really good for not only me, but for my children and my husband and our world? Um, And for probably about six months, I just felt like I said no to everything um, because I knew that I just couldn't keep filling up my life with yes projects um, because that wouldn't give me the space to be able to uncover what I really wanted to be doing. So, yeah, I shed a lot. I had, you know, six months of just shedding work. I stopped pitching articles. I didn't take on any more book projects. And I kind of just waited um, to see what might fill that space again. Was the waiting uncomfortable? It was hideous. (laughs) (laughs) It was hideous. And, you know, I'm not out of it. This is the thing. You know, we will talk about my (laughs) projects I've got coming up, but I'm definitely still sitting in that space right now. Um, I still have moments where I just panic and just start grabbing for jobs that I know aren't right for me. Um, my husband went away for a week or went away for two weeks recently and I applied for a full-time um, job with the government <laughs> that would mean that I would have to do a four-hour round trip a day to the city. And he came back and I said, I've applied for this job. And then because of the type of person I am and the wonderful experience I've had, I then got the job. Oh, wow. (laughs) So then I was in this position where, um, you know, I don't absolutely don't want to sound ungrateful, but I was offered a full-time role in the city on a six-figure salary. Um, And, of course, my A-type personality was screaming, you know, take the job, take the job. This is an amazing opportunity. And meanwhile, my husband's looking at me like I'm crazy and my children are sitting in front of me, you know, needing a present mama. Um, and you know, some people absolutely manage that juggle, but I'm not one of those people who will be able to, because I also knew that on top of that full-time job, I'd still be chasing the freelance projects. I'd still be chasing the creative projects. And in the end, I'd end up with probably one and a half full-time jobs and a family to care for. But, um, you know, I went for it because we all have moments where we panic. And we think, you know, who am I? What am I doing? What is my purpose? Am I doing enough? Um, and so, yeah, we, I, we reach out for things that we know aren't right for us, but that fill that little hole in our ego um, that's crying out for attention. Oh, that is so powerful. That so I turned so that job powerful. down. <laughs> but that is, 
I just really want to sit in that for a moment for all of us, that when the almost the unravelling and redefining of who am I now gets uncomfortable, our ego rushes in and often makes us reach out for something to get that hit of I'm still who I used to be. Mm-hmm. Can we just sit with that for a moment? Because that's really, really powerful. Yeah. Because mm. that's what happens, isn't it? And, it? and for some people listening, for some mamas, it might be that reaching out for your phone, that reaching out for something, that it's just that acknowledgement of, yeah, yeah, it's okay. I'm still who I used to be because without that, who am I? Wow. And I think, you know, before motherhood, that doesn't matter so much if we chase that work because we're really the only one that's going to become a victim to that but you know our children there as we all know they're little mirrors and um you know over the last year and a half when I've chased the wrong job for the wrong reason um I've seen the reaction from my children you know at one point my toddler started having night terrors and it was exactly at the time where I kind of got into that chasing mentality, overworking mentality, um, and suddenly she's screaming in the middle of the night. They don't let us get away with anything, these little kids. Um, and so before in my life where I chased after the wrong job and it was fine, I just got depleted and exhausted, but I'm single, so who cared? Now we you know, have this huge responsibility to, um, you know, I know in my family, if I'm happy, my family are happy, and that goes for my husband too. If I'm stressed, all three of my other family members are stressed. And if I'm, you know, peaceful, they're all peaceful as well. So um, it keeps you in check, really, with the decisions that you make. Mm. I've had a little aha moment in this podcast, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I've, just, I've just gone a level deeper in understanding my superwoman addiction. So, Amy, you've just, you've just totally hit me something there that every time I go back into that over over commitment it's because I got uncomfortable with the new place I was in wow Mm -hmm. thank you for that no problem (laughs) can I circle back to something else you said there as well that I wrote down that I really would want to explore with you you said when you were looking at this role whether you actually had the capacity for it And this ties in with something I've actually just posted on Instagram this morning around the mental load of motherhood. I think we don't, we're not honest about what is required of us on a day-to-day basis because we don't talk about it. We don't uh, honour it in our culture of what it takes to just have everything organised to keep these little people alive and happy. And so often when we need to make decisions, so when we look at what we can do and what we want to do, we don't acknowledge the capacity we have for this. Mm, Absolutely, definitely. And I think, you know, when you are a high-achieving, driven woman, like, you know, you could do it all. Like, I know I could do that job and, you know, keep a house and a family in check. But how would I feel and, you know, how would my well-being be on a daily basis and my anxiety levels around that? And I think that's a hard thing when you know you are absolutely capable of doing it. Um, it's very hard to say no to it. 
And that's why you've got to get really honest about, okay, I could do it, but what would my life feel like when I was doing it? Mm, That's right. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Mm, Absolutely. So how do you then balance that realisation you've had over the last 12 months really of saying no to a lot and pulling back and being okay with this? And then knowing what to say yes to, because in this time you have also said yes to an amazing project that we'll talk about. So how have you found what to say yes to and what to say no to? Yeah, and I've also said a lot, I have said yes to a bunch of stuff um, that with people that I genuinely love working with and people who are very flexible as to my needs. So I felt like when I went to this job that I recently got, I said to my husband, I feel like I went in disguise. So I went, I didn't mention my children. Mm -hmm. I didn't mention that I would need flexible working. Um, You know, I went in just kind of basically as like a single ambitious girl and sold my skills, which is fantastic. But I walked out and I just felt like I didn't bring my full package to the table. Mm. And so when they offered me the job, I also felt like I kind of tricked them into it because then I came around and said, oh, but I'd need flexible working and I'd need remote hours and I'd need this and that because I've got two children. And Um, also, if I could interrupt there for a moment, and also you'll then, because I know I've done this and I know so many women listening will feel like this, you then end up trying to hide that part Mm -hmm. of yourself because you didn't get the job based on that reality. So you're going to have to pretend it's not there. And that's when we have to be this split personality. We show up at work not being the mother Mm. and we go home and we can't, you know, acknowledge that we're working when we're at home. Mm, Exactly. And I think we do it to big degrees like I um, have a friend who has a little disabled son and just took on a new part-time job and didn't mention it to her employers because she didn't want them to treat her differently and then of course she just has the anxiety of not being able to tell them that I might need to take a phone call from his specialist Mm -hmm. or I might need to duck out if he has an infection and really you know we should to a degree be able to bring all of that to the table and be honest about that so the jobs that I say yes to are with clients who know, you know, there are going to be times where I can't work a nine to five, but what I will work is a five to 11 PM. I will hit your deadlines. I will produce fantastic content for you, but it really needs to be on my terms and on my timeline because that is how I produce my best work. Mm. Oh yeah. I love that. And so (laughs) where did this beautiful project come from then? So I have wanted to write um, a children's book or a series of children's books for probably the last um, three years since my little girl was born. And to be honest, I started it about two years ago um, from not the best place, knowing that I wanted to write it, knowing this probably wasn't the best time to write it. But I just thought, okay, this can be my next thing. This can be the next thing I hang my hat on. I'm going to produce a children's book and then that will be my next step. Um, I pitched the books to publishers. Unsurprisingly now, I got a bunch of no's because, um, you know, the, the books at that time weren't written from the right place. They were just written because I wanted to tick off this project and move on to the next. Um, fast forward two years and I, in the last six months, just com- threw out all of them and completely rewrote them. 
I also had no intention of launching them this year at all. And then as so often happens, um, I was sitting in a coffee shop and met a local illustrator who happens to be amazing at children's books. I then met a local book distributor who started telling me how she distributes books for um, children's books for a living. Um, and all of these kind of stepping stones began to be put in place without me putting any effort into um, them coming into being. So I think, you know, as you know very well, when the universe begins to kind of poke you in that direction and say the time is now, even though actually I kind of felt like I wasn't ready, I kind of felt like I wasn't, didn't have the resilience to, to go after this project yet, um, I also felt like it was really was the right time to do it. Um, that still involved actually a, an element of discomfort in that um, I have always, I've published 14 books, both under my name and other people's as a ghostwriter. And I have always in the past worked with traditional publishers in kind of the traditional publishing model. However, if anyone has tried to pitch books, um, it's tough and it's rough emotionally on you. You know, you generally have to get a series of rejections before you get to that yes. And whereas in my early 20s, I published my first book at 23, I had the resilience and the capacity to go through that process. I also knew that now as a mama of two, I don't. Mm. Um, I really didn't want to go through that roller coaster and I wanted to feel more in control of the creative process than kind of handing it over to someone else. Um, and so for the first time ever, I decided to self-publish the book so that they really could be on my timeline um, and, and fit around my life and make sure they perfectly aligned with everything I wanted them to be. This is such a beautiful analogy almost for all of us that just because there's a traditional way to do it, it doesn't mean you have to accept that as your way of doing things anymore. And I think that is in so many different parts of our lives now. And you know what? My ego does not like it. I bet. <laughs> because, you know, we want to say, I just signed a book deal and we want to put the thing on Instagram of being like walking out of our publisher and you know, we want to do the boomerang of us signing the contract. I've done all that before. <laughs> like, you know, I've held, I've done all of that. And I've had, you know, those moments where I've been able to announce to the world, I just signed with Hay House. I just signed with this other book publisher. I'm a, you know, I'm a published author. Um, and, you know, self-publishing, I think for me, was, to be honest, kind of the second... Um, the plan B for people and so to get in the mindset that actually it's my plan A um, has taken a big shift um, that I'm probably still coming to terms with really you know part of me still wants to be saying and Amy like I just signed this book deal with Penguin and it's amazing mm. um, that would feel much more comfortable to me than saying actually do you know what? I'm going out on my own because that's best for me and my family yes because again, it's identity. Mm. It is that attachment to this identity as a published author. But if we were to shift that focus to instead, what capacity do I have? What is the feeling I want to have? How will this best work for me? The answer is different. 
and it's obviously and also, different. You know, what is financially better for us? Um, because you know, this is something that I don't like talking about at all. But um, publishing a book through a traditional publishing house, unless you are J.K. Rowling, it will not pay your mortgage. Mm-hmm. And um, so that means you also have to take on all these other jobs in addition to it, um, which is a lot. Whereas self-publishing can, and um, with a big can, um, bring in more income, which means that you can then do less on the side. And so I needed to, or I need to begin to explore a way to make um, publishing these children's books more financially sustainable for me and my family. And um, in my experience, traditional publishing uh, is less about that. Isn't it funny that we... That makes so much sense to me hearing you say that, but we're so uncomfortable with asking for this. Mm. It's so... Because especially for creatives, you know, we should, I've always loved what I do. I just live and breathe writing. So I have fallen into the trap a lot in the past of just being so incredibly grateful to have projects and not even think about the financial um, side of things. Just being grateful just to have my words shared with the world. Um, and again, you know, that's fine when you're single, but now I'm part of a family with responsibilities and um, I don't want to worry about money. Mm-hmm. I really don't. And so um, I've had to get really clear about how I can still share um, the stories I want to share in a way that in the long term is going to um, financially support our family too. And so as part of this beautiful project, and tell us about the book in a moment, because I absolutely adore this <laughs> idea and I think it's going to be hugely successful. But as part of this project, really, it's no different for your readers. They, they will be buying the book or supporting you so they can read the book. It's just that the money, instead of going to a huge publishing conglomerate, is going to go back to the family of the author that wrote it. Exactly. And my wonderful <laughs> illustrator um, and yes. people that are helping me bring it to life. So um, I'm crowdfunding the first book in the series or the first, um, the first print run, which will be 1500 copies of the first book in the series. Um, and so it's really how I am getting my head around it is it's really just pre-ordering the book before it goes to print. Um, so I'm asking people to pre-order a copy so that I can fund the first print run. And there are lots of other rewards that you can get too. You can get your child's name in the acknowledgements of the book. You can get a um, writing mentoring session with me um, and lots of other little extra rewards that you can get too. Um, but really that is, you know, the heart of it is that, you know, I'm asking people pre-order this book, um, help me raise funds for the first print run. You know, you won't be paying any more than you would for the book in just grabbing it off the shelf in a shop um, and just testing out a new way of sharing this creative content um, so that I can set myself up to bring out the next six books in the series because I genuinely can say that I feel like they can help a lot of um, families with the content. And so I want to be able to, you know, not just bring out one book, but bring out every, all of the six books that are in the series. And so share the idea of the book. It's a book that, it's a children's book that will also 
significantly support the parent that's reading it. Mm -hmm. So this is how it's morphed. So when I first wrote these books, because I'm also a trained counsellor and my whole career has been built around um, stories that will help people to overcome adversity. And so when I first wrote these children's books, I thought, okay, I want to write books that help the child, that teach them about resilience and about self-soothing and about reframing situations. Um, then, more beautifully, really, um, in the last year, I realized that my kids were okay. Like I was the one who was emotionally cracking and that night times were the moments when I felt my lowest, when I would literally, you know, find myself laying on my daughter's floor, like wanting to end the day by connecting with her, by, you know, giving her all of my love, by letting her go to bed feeling like I am absolutely devoted to her. But those were the moments where I just felt like I had nothing left to give. And so um, this is how the children's books morphed into um, imaginative stories that soothe not only a child, but also the adult who's reading it aloud to them. And that might be a mother, a father, an educator, you know, grandparent, a friend. Um, They are books that um emotionally soothe your child and you that give you the words that you need those words of strength at the end of the day when you might feel like you have absolutely nothing left to give oh my gosh Amy is so so important Mm, I love them (laughs) as do I and I think you know even just teaching parents how to meditate with their children at the end of the day is a similar thing it's this Skill that yes, of course, our children need, but what it does for you in that moment too is amazing. So this is what your book series will be about, and the first one, uh, the crowdfunding is on right now until the 29th of October. So, mummers, if you would like to pre-order and ensure that Amy has these books out and that you can read them to support you at the end of the day, as you said, when you're at your most depleted to fill yourself back up again so you can finish the day in the right way. All of the details will be in the show notes and we can uh, link to all of that, Amy. But this has been, as always, I shouldn't be surprised. This Mm -hmm. has been such a brilliant conversation. I love talking to you and the way that you uh, analyse what is happening. I think that is something I value so highly in others and myself is this commitment to to question, to go deeper, to look at, I wonder why this is happening this way. And you are definitely one of those people. Thank you, as are you. Mamas, I love that we were able to bring this part two of the conversation with Amy to you. It's really important that we keep highlighting that our goals change, that our ambitions are allowed to change that we're allowed to say no to something that used to be really important to us. That's the gift of Matrescence. You can support Amy's beautiful vision of bringing these books into the world by going to possible.com slash profile slash Amy dash Malloy dash one but these details are in the show notes and I really encourage you to support her and bring these stories into your home. Thank you for being a part of this conversation.
Until next week, Satnam. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.